0: Well, good morning, and this is the Midweek Devotional for Wednesday, July the 7th. My name is Parker Johnson, uh, and I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian Church in Bruton, Alabama. I hope you're doing well. Today's Midweek Devotional is very different than our usual. If this is your first time tuning in, know that each Wednesday, Lord willing, I release a podcast or recording of a devotional uh, from very different topics. But today... I'm going to be giving a recap of what happened last week at General Assembly, Uh, and so you've tuned in to a bit of a different one. But before I delve in, let me pray. Father, I do pray that as I discuss weighty matters with my brothers and sisters here on the podcast that you would bless me and help me, give me wisdom uh, as to clearly uh, describe the events and the decisions that were made last week. We do thank you for the PCA, our denomination, and I pray that you would bless it with both purity and peace. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in just a minute, I'm going to update us on the events of what happened at this General Assembly. But Before I get into that, there are those who may be tuning in who don't know what General Assembly is. So I want to give a, a brief recap of what that is. Our church is part of what's called uh, the Presbyterian Church in America. It's a conservative denomination that was begun in 1973, although our congregation did not pull out of what we would call the old denomination or the PCUSA, which had become increasingly liberal until the early 1990s. We are Presbyterian in polity, which means form of government. And as such, we are governed in a very similar way as our nation is with a representative form of government. There are three levels of government within our uh, denomination. You first have, uh, or three courts, we might say. That's the technical word for it. The lowest court or lowest level of governance in our denomination is the local session. Uh, That is the gathering of elders whom you as our members have elected uh, who gather, uh, in our case, uh, usually monthly to make decisions to shepherd in God our congregation. However, there is another level above us or the second court of our denomination, and that is presbytery. Presbytery, if you're from a Baptist background, is much like a Baptist Association in that it is made up of churches in a geographic area. Our Presbytery is called the Southeast Alabama Presbytery and it goes from Clanton in the north down to Floralla in the south. The west side of our Presbytery is Montgomery and the east side of our Presbytery is the Georgia line. There are between 30 and 35 churches in our Presbytery. I can't remember the exact count. The highest court or level of governance is what's called the General Assembly. Now, Presbytery meets usually four times a year. General Assembly, though, meets one time a year and its location changes each year. This year it was in St. Louis. General Assembly is about a three or four or five day meeting, um, meets yearly. And it is made up of representatives of the churches and presbyteries. And so each local congregation can send all of their teaching elders. Those are pastors, those who have been to seminary and been ordained by presbyteries. I'm a teaching elder. Uh, So every teaching elder can go. uh, And then each congregation can send at least two ruling elders to vote. Um, Now, if you have a larger congregation, you get more representatives. And I can't remember the breakdown. I think it's for every 350 members over 500 members, you get an additional ruling elder, um, if I remember correctly. So we get two, two ruling elders, uh, plus me, uh, teaching elder. And so our congregation has, at least in theory, if, if we sent everybody, would have three votes. Uh, this year, we had a record number of what are called commissioners, or those who had been sent to vote. All the teaching elders and then ruling elders who had been sent by their sessions. Uh, previous to this year, the highest number we'd ever had was six, about 1,600. Uh, this year, we had about 2,100. So about 2,100 people were there to vote on weighty matters. General Assembly deals with uh, the Uh, matters that pertain to the whole denomination, uh, the whole denomination worldwide. We have just shy of 400,000 members in the PCA worldwide, Uh, and so this is the highest court. Uh, From this point, there is no appeal. Uh, The decisions of General Assembly can be reversed by future General general Assemblies, but they can't be reversed by any other way. Uh, There is no appeal above it. Um, General Assembly usually goes from Monday or Tuesday through Friday. Uh, Last week, Earl and I went up there, Mandy too, uh, but Earl and I were were voting members uh, or commissioners. Um, And let me just say that I'll never fly through O'Hare again. Well, I say that, but I don't desire to. I got stuck there for (laughs) six hours, and my flight didn't leave until 10 till 11. It was awful. But I got there safely, praise God. Uh, And our uh, business started Tuesday night. Uh, During General Assembly, you have three worship services in which they're usually just phenomenal preachers. I think one of the best sermons I've ever heard was the sermon preached at the worship service last Tuesday night. If you're really curious and have a little time on your hand, you can find it online on the PCA website. They have General Assembly recorded, and you can go back and hear the sermon from a guy named Howie Donahoe, uh, who's actually a ruling elder. He's not even a pastor. He just had a phenomenal sermon uh, on heaven. I commend it to you. Uh, So we have three worship services. The music's great. Thursday night, Sandra McCracken, who's a well-known Christian artist, uh, did a concert and led worship for us. It it was uh, it was fantastic. There are lectures throughout the week that you can sign up for and go to with different topics. Uh, The fellowship of getting to see other pastors and other elders that you hadn't seen in a while is is a wonderful time of fellowship. However, it was really busy. I came home, and I think Earl would say the same thing. That we we came home exhausted. It was a lot of work. It's fun to see friends. It's fun to go to those great worship services, but it feels like about two or three weeks worth of work packed into that week. Why am I updating you this year, whereas I haven't in other years? Well, it's because there were some fairly controversial and weighty matters before the General Assembly this year. Uh, Let me sum up really quickly and then I'll explain. Uh, the votes went the right direction, overwhelmingly so. There were controversial issues before the court. However, uh, rest assured that as a denomination, we have held the line, held the line with biblical ethics, especially in the area of sexuality, particularly in the area of homosexuality. Uh, so let me unpack that. That's the summary. Let me unpack this. So, if you don't hear anything else, know that the votes went the right direction. Praise God, by overwhelming majorities. Uh, but let me back up. The background for much of what was coming up for the General Assembly this year was a conference that was held, oh, I wish I had that before me, I think four or five years ago now, um, called Revoice. And it was something that was held at a PCA church in St. Louis called Memorial Presbyterian Church. This church has a PCA pastor who identifies as a uh, gay Christian. Now, let me be very quick to say that this is not, um, you shouldn't identify by that, and, and I'm gonna tell you why in a second, but don't immediately think, to his credit, don't immediately think of someone in a, in a, in a liberal denomination. Uh, there are many denominations out there that have embraced homosexuality, that if there was someone who was called a gay Christian, what they would mean by that is that they are a practicing homosexual in, uh, in a relationship, uh, pursuing homosexuality, living a gay lifestyle. Um, certainly the uh, Episcopal Church in the USA has, has adopted that uh, as a denomination. Others have as well. the Methodist Church, uh, United Methodist Church is going to split next year uh, over this issue. That's pretty much done deal in the writing. Uh, but when this man, whose name is Greg Johnson says a gay Christian, what he means by that is that he does not, he lives a celibate lifestyle. Uh, but finds it okay to use the phrase "gay Christian" to describe his feelings of same-sex attraction or homosexual desires. Uh, so I just want you to understand what we're talking about. You should know too that Greg Johnson is uh, has been charged uh, with um, false teaching in our denomination, and his case is currently before the uh, what's called the Standing Judicial Commission, uh, which is the highest court of our denomination and has to report to the General Assembly. His case should be finished sometime this year and will come before the General Assembly next year. Um, so you should know that that the, the gears are in motion to deal with this guy. Unfortunately, in a Presbyterian form of government, we do everything decently and in order, which usually means it takes a long time. But as a pastor, his church hosted a uh, conference called the Revoice Conference, whose purpose was to, oh, let me see how to say this, uh, to minister to same-sex attracted Christians uh, in such a way that encourages them in their walk with, with the Lord, Okay. So it is a good thing to reach out to those who are struggling with any kind of sin, those who are struggling with the sin of homosexuality. This is a good thing, right? They didn't do it the right way. They would affirm that it is a morally neutral thing to be oriented, um, to have a homosexual orientation, okay? Homosexual orientation is not a concept that we find in Scripture, uh, but this is this is their language. They would say it is morally neutral to, to have a homosexual orientation. In fact, they would say it, it may be an effect of the fall. Okay, so we're getting in the weeds here, uh, getting in the weeds. They might say that it is an effect of the fall, just like someone who was blind, born blind, or who was born a quadriplegic, right? that that is an effect of the fall, uh, but is is in itself not sin. Do you see where this causes some problems? The Bible is really clear that any time we desire something that is contrary to how God has designed us, contrary to the word of God, even if they are unwanted desires, that this is sinful. No matter what sin we struggle with, we have to fight it today, 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 don't we? Uh, There's great hope for those who struggle with homosexuality. Um, uh, Let me find my Bible. There's a great passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which really gets to the root issue of identity. The question is, how should we identify if someone is struggling with homosexual desires, should they then identify with their homosexual desires or should they identify with Christ? The, the correct answer is Christ. And we have a, a fantastic place to turn to for this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and following. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived... Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All right, well, Paul's right there. Now, here it's real clear that if someone's life is defined by, is characterized by, not in a struggle, but like in as a... that an ongoing pattern of sin that someone is not repentant of, that's what's in view here. There's a list of things uh, that is exemplary, not exhaustive. Uh, Those folks don't go to heaven. They do not inherit the kingdom of God, right? And in the middle of that list is this phrase, nor men who practice homosexuality, which is a translation of actually two different Greek words. Now, here is the good news of Jesus. Verse 11, and such were some of you. Did you hear that? And such were some of you. Now, let me ask you something. These people who are these Corinthians, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, usually the same sins we struggle with before conversion are the same sins we're going to struggle with after conversion conversion, right? That, that That's usually the case. Sometimes God completely takes away the sin from us, but most of the time, or the, not the sin, rather, the struggle from us, but most of the time we will continue to struggle, but with greater and greater success, because Christ takes away the power of sin over us, it's going to be something that's going to be a long-term struggle. But Paul says, such were some of you. So these people were no longer defined by their past sin or their internal struggle. How were they defined? They were defined by Jesus. And such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise be to God. The gospel, the true gospel, says, Come to Christ, be forgiven, and be changed. Ongoing, lifelong transformation through sanctification. Right. So uh, this pastor, Greg Johnson in St. Louis, uh, those who are of the revoice mentality, this uh, conference, um, broadly you will hear this called side B homosexuality. I have no clue where that terminology comes from, but that you're going to hear that phrase if you hear it, side B homosexuality, that's the same kind of thing, that it's okay to identify as a gay Christian, Uh, Someone who we might say is a Christian completely otherwise. But you cannot use anything to modify the word Christian, especially something that is sinful. Especially something that is sinful. Um, The gospel says we're going to struggle. But we are forgiven, and God gives us hope every day. The gospel says, come to Christ, be forgiven, and experience a lifelong process of change. The Revoice folks would say, come to Jesus and remain the same. There's no chance of any kind of movement in your own heart on these things. And guess what? They're wrong. That's not good news. That is not good news. Okay, so at General Assembly this year, there were several uh, what are called overtures. Uh, we might call these proposals from or motions that were made, we can say that too, from the various presbyteries dealing with this issue. Uh, and remember, all the votes went the right way. There was a conservative response to this. I saw on Facebook or Twitter, I-, I use Twitter once a year, and that is during General Assembly, <laughs> as people are talking back and forth. Anyway, I, I saw on Twitter um, a great line. It said, if you poke the bear long enough, he's going to wake up. And that's what happened. The reason why we had such a huge turnout, I mean, a third, more than we have ever had before, is because conservatives, Bible-believing pastors, and ruling elders responded in droves to deal with this issue. And over the week, uh, we passed uh, two changes, or excuse me, began the process of changing uh, two things in our uh, book of church order, or something called the BCO. The BCO is a governing—it's really the bylaws of our denomination, right? It is not Scripture, right? It's it's not inerrant or infallible. It was written by man, but it's a it's the guiding document. If you've ever seen me baptize someone, you know, those vows I read, uh, those are from the book of church order. And how we do our church elections is governed by the book of church order. Uh, it's, a, it's a great document, but it is a difficult thing. To change our Book of Church order. Um, Why? Because you don't want to be able to change it willy-nilly. It actually takes two years, one General Assembly, followed by the next, passing these measures or any proposed change uh, by a simple majority, plus the approval of two-thirds of all the presbyteries. So the 88 presbyteries in the next year will vote and report their vote uh, to the next General Assembly next year, which is in Birmingham, by the way. And if two-thirds approve it, then we'll take another vote. And if half of the voters at General Assembly approve it, then these things will become official part of the Booker Church order. Now, I will say that in some ways we can say that nothing was really needed to keep things biblical. Right? We we have always had a biblical view of homosexuality uh, in our denomination going back from the very beginning you know homosexuality is not new it's been around forever right after the fall but certainly our cultural moment this is the big issue and so there were two or actually lots of overtures that came up to clarify to make it more explicit uh, as to this issue the first thing that we passed uh, was specifically dealing with the issue of can you serve as an officer in our church and identify yourself as a gay Christian? And the answer is no. Right? You can uh, fight all sorts of sins, and this is this actually isn't just dealing with homosexuality, but you can deal with you can struggle with all sorts of sins, but be repentant, be seeking the Lord for change, and knowing the hope that is in the gospel. However, however. Uh, This is the proposed change and passed once and has two more votes to BCO 16.4. And I'm quoting here. Officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be above reproach in their walk and Christlike in their manner, excuse me, in their character. Those who profess an identity such as but not limited to gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian, homosexual Christian or like terms that undermines or contradicts their identity as new creations in Christ either by denying the sinfulness of fallen desires such as but not limited to same-sex attraction or by denying the reality and hope of progressive sanctification or by failing to pursue spirit-empowered victory over their spiritual, excuse me, sinful temptations, inclinations and actions are not qualified for ordained office. End quote. Let me tell you what I just read. Basically is if you choose to identify yourself by any modifier, such as gay Christian, same-sex attractor Christian, um, homosexual Christian, uh, and in doing so you deny that those sinful, um, that those, that new identity is sinful or that you cannot change or by denying uh, or failing to pursue holiness, then you would not be uh, uh, eligible to serve as a deacon, a ruling elder, or a teaching elder. right? And I, and I really do appreciate how this final language came about in the sense that it makes it really clear that what is being prohibited is not just uh, someone using language in a casual or... Uh, flip it kind of way um, but in, in such a way that really does deny the power of the gospel okay so pastorally it's great it holds out hope to all those who struggle with sins of various kinds but you cannot identify yourself uh, by your sin you can't do it there's no hope there sorry I got on a soapbox there. Um, all right, the second thing that we passed was called Overture 37. Let me back up. The first overture I discussed, the thing I just read to you, was passed by a huge margin, 1,438 votes for yes to only 417 to no. So praise God. The second thing we passed is it's a bit lengthy. I'm going to describe what it is, then I'll read it to you. Uh, and it is uh, requiring courts, that is presbyteries and Uh, churches, to that when we examine our um, members for ordination to ruling elder, teaching elder, or deacon, uh, that we not only get into someone's character, making sure they're above reproach, which, by the way, is currently already on the books, but makes it a little more uh, specific to this issue. Basically, this says, hey, you got to ask folks hard questions if they're going to serve in the church. So this is the proposed change to BCO 21-4, All right, uh, and I'm quoting here. In the examination of the candidate's personal character, the presbytery shall give specific attention to potentially notorious concerns, such as, but not limited to, relational sins, sexual immorality, including homosexuality, child sexual abuse, fornication, and pornography, addictions, abusive behavior, racism, and financial mismanagement. Careful attention must be given to his practical struggle against sinful actions, as well as to persistent sinful desires. The candidate must give clear testimony of reliance upon his union with Christ and the benefits thereof by the Holy Spirit, depending on this work of grace to make progress over sin and to bear fruit. While imperfection may remain, he will not be known, excuse me, he must not be known by reputation or self profession according to his remaining sinfulness, but rather by the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. In order to maintain discretion and protect the honor of the pastoral office, Presbyteries are encouraged to appoint a committee to conduct detailed examinations of these manners to give prayerful support to candidates. End quote. That paragraph actually deals specifically with teaching elders, with pastors. Uh, So in here, again, even more explicitly, is this idea that you can't identify as a gay Christian. Uh, And it's really right here. Let me read this part again. While imperfection will remain—okay, so let me stop quoting for a second. So this is saying that people may struggle with all sorts of various kinds of sins, and there will be imperfections, right? Uh, However, here it is, continue to quote now, he must not be known, how? By reputation or self-profession, according to his remaining sinfulness, but rather by the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. End quote. Our identity is in Christ, period. Full stop. Well, that summarizes the... Uh, main issue that we had to deal with at General Assembly this year. Um, before I close, I'll just mention uh, one other thing that we actually spent a long time talking about, uh, and that's with our foreign missions agency in the PCA called Mission to the World, or MTW. Uh, we clarified that it the uh, team leader overseas who has authority over church planting efforts, Uh, they must be ordained as a ruling elder or teaching elder. There was a shift a few years ago uh, away from that. Uh, It wasn't codified. Uh, There were some teams that had ordained leaders and some who didn't, Uh, and there was some question of, of would there even be women who were team leaders or in, in the authority line of uh, hierarchy. Uh, and this year we clarified that, that no, if you're going to have authority over any kind of ecclesiastical work, that is of a church plant uh, or a church work, Uh, a teaching elder or someone who's actually doing the planting, the person they report to really does have to be an ordained ruling or teaching elder. And that's a good thing. We need these people to have some theological training and to have been examined to make sure that the right decisions are made. We dealt with a whole bunch of other stuff. In fact, we had 48 or 49 overtures uh or requests to change things from the presbyteries some of those were duplicates uh, dealing with the same thing but it was a busy general assembly in fact we got finished uh, we finished Thursday night, but it was actually Friday morning at 1245 when we uh, received our benediction and were dismissed. So it was a lot of work. I've said a lot of things today. If you have questions about any of these things I've talked about, uh, feel free to reach out to me here at the church, and I'd love to tell you more. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for our denomination. We thank you that you, Christ, are the head of the church. And we pray that we would pursue you and that the church um, would be both both peaceful and pure in doctrine. Give us a zeal for the lost. Expand our bounds, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.